Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. It is AFC South wrap-up day, so this should be coming out on a Friday. Uh, still 11.30 in the morning, still got my rum, because we're recording this right after we did the, the, the Titans episode. <laughs> so, uh, when we... Uh, here's the thing, fun fact, when you're a podcaster and you're stacking episodes on top of each other on recording days and you're drinking through all of them... <laughs> Sometimes there's a cumulative effect. We'll see what happens. But uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here, EJ, uh, even though we're recording this not on a Friday. Happy Friday to you. I, I will take it. Happy Friday to you as well. <laughs> I'm drinking another cup of coffee because you know, why wouldn't you at this point? Um, <laughs> but I'm kind of excited. This is a, I don't want to say it's a milestone. It's a mini milestone. It's a, it's a mile post, maybe. Uh, first divisional wrap-up. Like, this is the capper. Like, we're just going to do this seven more times. We've done four teams, and now we put the cap on at the end of the week on a Friday, get to say what we think about overall divisional storylines, how we feel about, you know, key additions within the division that might shift the power structure. Uh, it's going to be fun. Well, why don't we get to uh, kind of a overall recap of 2021 results before we get to 2022 predictions um if you weren't paying attention to the afc south last year a i don't blame you but b it got real (laughs) dramatic towards the end the afc south was of course won by the tennessee titans who ended up being um the the number one seed actually in the afc kind of out of nowhere a lot of people were thinking it was going to be either you know buffalo kansas city cincinnati for a long time there and then the titans just ripped off a four and one stretch over the last five weeks uh and came and claimed the first seed for themselves so they they ended up top of the division at 12 and 5 indy theoretically (laughs) uh could have done a lot better than they did but they collapsed late ended up at nine and eight when they probably should have been 11 and 6 at worst but they took a couple real bad losses uh in the last two weeks hence why Carson Wentz is no longer there and one of those losses was to the Jacksonville Jaguars who um I don't want to say came out of nowhere but maybe finally showed what they could have been the entire year uh by by kind of ending Indy's hopes and dreams there in the last week they ended up still at 3 and 14 so they weren't really punished for that loss because they ended up with the number one overall pick anyway, where they got Trayvon Walker. 
And the Houston Texans, uh, right there in no man's land at 4-12, and 12, ended up with the third overall pick. Um, again, started out brutal for them as well, but showed some signs of life towards the end. And I think, um, you know, if you listen to the Texans episode, they, they do oddly have some hope going forward because of what they saw from Davis Mills as a rookie. So overall, uh, a lot of drama in the division that maybe we didn't expect, especially towards the last month of the season. And I see no reason for that drama to end this year because you still have two legitimate contending teams. What say you? Four and 13 is what I say for your former team of choice. Not four and 12. You're still on the, you're still in the, evens, oh, right. Just yeah, like me. Yeah. Yeah. Just like me. It's like That's me saying San Diego. I'm going to, I'm going to say San Diego until I die. Uh, no, four and 13. So Titans, Colts, Texans, Jags, you know, if you want any more information about those four teams, we just spent the last week breaking them down. Go back and check out the episodes. Uh, in terms of folks on a roll, Tennessee mentioned four and one, but a three win streak to finish off. And typically teams that finish off the previous season strong in the last five to seven games, especially if they really hit a roll right at the end of the year, are teams that tend to continue that role. I know that each season in the NFL is its own season. We talked about all the changes and whatever else, but that thread tends to run through. And in this division, that was Tennessee, uh, you know, and the Colts, mm, let's hope they can erase that stick. They kind of had the opposite thing. They had a two-loss streak, went three and two in their last five, but literally their last two games they lost in bad fashion, and that kicked them out of the playoffs. They would have had a playoff spot otherwise. So going to be fascinating to see. If you, again, you want all the detail about why we think these teams are going to go up and down and what they're going to do this year, head back, check out the individual episodes. But overall, going to be a very interesting division. We'll talk about some of those storylines as we get farther on. Notable free agency additions throughout the entire division. Again, this is not all of them. If you want to break down of the entire free agency class for each team, you can go back to the individual episodes, but just kind of some some top-level big names here. If you didn't watch those other episodes and you just want to know who are the big-name players that kind of moved around and ended up in the AFC South. Uh, for Jacksonville on offense, you got Brandon Scherf and Christian Kirk. Uh, Christian Kirk obviously reset the receiver market almost single-handedly when when he signed his big, uh, his big deal. On defense, they made some really, really good signings with Darius Williams, Foye Oluokun, and Folofanakasi. Um, Houston, pretty much nothing to speak of on offense, but on defense, they brought in Jerry Hughes to try to replace some of the, um, you know, two of the top three guys on their roster in terms of pressures they lost. So they brought in Jerry Hughes to try to make up a little bit of ground there. Steven Nelson to be a veteran presence at corner. And uh, Agbania Okoronkwo also brought in yes. to try to be a rotational uh, defensive lineman there in that front. For Indy, the big get was Matt Ryan, who we'll be discussing probably pretty heavily today and on defense they also got a couple you know pretty big names with Stephon Gilmore Yannick Ngakwe and Rodney McLeod through various means Yannick was traded for the other two were signed and then Tennessee Robert Woods and Austin Hooper were the two big additions on offense because they had to somehow replace the lack of production from AJ Brown and uh and Ferkser and Michael Pruitt all those guys so they brought in Woods and Hooper and then on defense they were actually they were pretty set to be honest, so they didn't really have any any need to bring in a big name, and so they didn't bring in any big names, and um, they're just kind of you know they're they're letting it ride, and they're like ah we're gonna draft some other young talent to mix in here. Overall, looking at these big name free agents, 
which one kind of sticks out the most of you, the most to you, I should say, as being the biggest game changer in the division as a whole? Got to be Matt Ryan for me. Indies needed quarterback stability. They've they've taken several bites at different apples over the last two to three years. It hasn't worked out. They have a very talented team around the quarterback position. Chris Ballard continues to build a really good roster, but they needed the trigger man. They needed the point man. Matt Ryan, I don't think in their wildest dreams they thought would be available. Through a turn of fate, he was, and they went and got him, which was a smart thing to do. If he doesn't shift the balance of power in this division, nothing will. I'm going to go slightly different direction just because you already took Matt Ryan. I'm going to go Yannick Ngakwe, who they did trade for in exchange for Rocky Sin. Uh, that to me was a, I don't want to say a lopsided trade, but I, I feel like it, it did favor the Colts because Yannick traditionally, uh, especially with, when he's with Gus Bradley for the third time in his career, he is that, you know, fire breather off the edge. Um, a lot of what Gus does defensively is to get one-on-ones for that weak side edge player, the ghost nine, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, there's a lot of stunts and, and twists and everything involved in order to try to get him good matchups. He's still a very effective pass rusher off the edge. He's going to get a whole lot of pressures. And when combining him with the other waves of guys in that defensive front, he's only going to have to play 30 snaps a game. And so you're going to get 30 snaps of fire and brimstone. And I think he's going to get a lot of pressure, a lot of sacks, and be a critical addition to that defensive line rotation. Yeah, we talked about it pre-show in terms of you know, a section that's coming a little bit later in the show in terms of you could pick anybody off that front five or six for Indianapolis, and one of them's going to be the guy that gets all the press. Not necessarily that makes all the makes all the moves and creates all the pressure. They have so many talented guys lined up in that rotation that one of them again, is going to catch the favorable bounces, is going to catch the guy stepping up in the pocket, and they're going to have six or seven sacks by midseason, and everybody's going to be like, hey, this is the guy. When you look at it, it's a combined total of all five, six, seven of them staying fresh, coming in waves, working together, rushing at different depths, all that stuff. But one guy is going to be the lucky recipient and start collecting numbers, and the national focus, the media focus, will turn to that guy, especially if the Colts are doing well, if they have a good record. And, you know, you start to see some, oh, is this guy in the running for MVP buzz, that kind of stuff, because there's just too much talent. I think they're going to be playing with more leads, which means all of those guys are going to get more chances to rush the passer. And you're going to start to see some, uh, you know, the dogs come out late in the game and just start <laughs> tearing up an offensive line that doesn't want to be there anymore. I have a feeling we'll see some of that for Indianapolis, and it well could be Yannick. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, notable rookies in the division. 
Uh, we'll talk about the draft. We just talked about who they brought in in free agency. Uh, Jacksonville on the offensive side, Luke Fortner. think he's going to be a really key internal cog in their offensive line. Uh, and then, of course, we mentioned Trayvon Walker, but also Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma. They completely made that interior of their linebacking core, and both of those players bring different things. I would say Muma is more the traditional Mike. Devin Lloyd is going to be a chess piece. They move all over. He's great rushing. He's great blitzing. He can cover pretty much anyone, especially in the short area with his length. And he's also very good as a traditional linebacker between the tackles, shedding blocks, and making tackles. So they really, everybody's going to bemoan the loss in their internal linebacking core and say, oh, a long time Jag is gone. They have two new fresh faces that are going to go a long way towards replacing that. On Houston, we've talked at length about how good their draft was. They were one of our top three draft classes in our wrap-up episode right after the draft. On offense, they bring in Kenyon Green, again, to be an internal offensive line stalwart for them, probably going to play a guard. John Mechie from Alabama and Damian Pierce from Florida, both going to have, I think, significant roles on that offense. We'll talk about that as we roll through. On defense, they did just as much, if not more. Derek Stingley Jr., High up overall. Both of us have very high hopes for him if he stays healthy at corner. Jalen Petra, you want to talk about a fire breather off the edge? He's more of a fire breather out of the slot. Um, <laughs> can do everything near the line uh, for them out of Baylor. Christian Harris, very athletic linebacker out of Alabama, who the arrow is pointing strongly up for. And then Thomas Booker, uh, friend of the program, I think we can label him at this point, Thomas Booker, who's going to play probably three tech for them, one of the five most athletic interior defensive lineman in this class tremendous set of additions for houston so lots of things that could help buoy uh their fortunes there indianapolis on offense alec pierce to be another big tall fast wide receiver outside they have a group of those now jelani woods who we love tight end for virginia to be uh, another faster mo alley cox and <laughs> yeah bernard mo cox that runs four six yeah <laughs> And Bernard Ryman, who we both believe can be a left tackle of the future for them, um, former tight end, converted to the position really just at the beginning of the pandemic, but has improved rapidly in his last few games in college, has all the athletic measurables you might want, and we believe can be a fixture for them. We hope to see that. On defense, it's really about Nick Cross for the Colts, especially uh, they just had a retirement, Kari Willis, so Nick Cross could be playing more and more often earlier, big hitter, great range, safety out of Maryland. And we get to Tennessee, their additions on the offensive side of the ball. Traylon Burks is the big one needed to replace a bunch of receiving snaps, many receiving snaps that they lost in free agency. And then again, friends from Shrine Bowl, Chigger Conquo and Kyle Phillips. We have interviews with both of them on the Bootleg Football Clips channel. Go out and check those. And Malik Willis is sort of that dark horse in waiting who's just lurking to sort of pop up two or three years from now if things go well and say, nope, I'm the quarterback of the future, and they got me in the third round. On defense is Roger McCreary, this sort of all-surprising corner out of Auburn who you look (laughs) at physically with short arms and not the tallest guy and go, shouldn't really be effective, and you watch him tear through the SEC against all the receivers we just named and can't shake can't shake them none of them could uh so roger mccreary at corner don't know if they'll play him inside or outside to me it doesn't really matter he's demonstrated the ability to stay with the best receivers in the country in college i think that's going to continue on into the pros and tough 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 player too lots of i mean 
amazing players in this group. Um, I know we're not going to get to talk about uh, this very often, so I want to do it here. I want to plant my flag in the ground. Fair enough. <laughs> For the Titans, and this is probably something I should have brought up last show, but I'm going to do it now. Chica Conquo and Kyle Phillips together. I'm excited for what they can do receiving wise because Chig, you know, he's a tight end that runs four or five. He's very Delaney Walker ish. Kyle Phillips, super quick, you know, even more athletic than Hunter Renfro, but runs routes like Hunter Renfro. So, you know, super high ceiling as a slot receiver there for him. What I'm excited about them, though, is their fit in Tennessee as run blockers because not only can they be effective, you know, as receivers, but they block their asses off in the run game and I envision a scenario you know where Tennessee's an 11 personnel and you're game planning all week and it's like okay yeah they like to run wide zone and split zone out of 12 uh, or out of 21 or what have you out of 13 they get into 11 it's like third and four where like theoretically you could run the ball but it's kind of sketchy so they get into 11 personnel you're playing pass all the way you're playing quarters or whatever you know, you got Chig as the Y, and you're like, no way they're running here. And then you motion Kyle Phillips into the backfield as like a quasi fullback, which UCLA did at times. Mm-hmm. And you run like zone insert with Derrick Henry behind those two. It'll work. They block like fucking crazy. And you watch Chig at Maryland, you watch Kyle Phillips at UCLA. They are tenacious, they are physical. Um, Kyle Phillips is not. Cooper Cup. They have very different size and speed and skill set profiles, but they, in, in terms of how the Rams used Cooper Cup as a run blocker with all these condensed formations, basically using him like a tight end, UCLA did a very similar thing with Kyle Phillips, where they would bring him very tight into the formation and use him as a lead blocker on insert. They would run wide zone behind him. They would do all this shit. I'm really excited to see how Chig and Kyle Phillips fit in that Titans offense, not just as, as receivers, but as run blockers, because this opens up the playbook and they can call runs that they normally would not have called out of 11 personnel when these guys are on the field. I'm really glad you brought it up. If you go back and watch those interviews I mentioned on the Bootleg Football Clips channel, we talked specifically to both of these guys about blocking. Watch them, watch them light up when they talk about it. Right. Because everybody can say, oh, yeah, I, I love run blocking. It's my favorite thing to like. No, you can't hide the gleam in Kyle Phillips eye when he's talking about springing his back for a long run down the sideline. And Chig talking about how he didn't like it as a freshman, but he came to like it and then realized he was pretty good at it. And then it got fun. Both of these guys address blocking specifically in those fairly short interviews that we had with them. And my favorite thing is going to be when they flip that over midseason. So they do that in the early season. They do exactly what you said in the early season. And they start running behind those guys. And teams are like, what? They're running behind a, <laughs> you know, 185-pound slot. Yeah, they are. And they're having success. My favorite thing is when hopefully they flip it midseason. So they start lining up in those condensed sets or motioning into condensed sets. And the defense starts going, no, no, you got to respect this. Like, it's actually going to work. You know, they ripped this off for – 18 yards last week we gotta we gotta pack guys in here it comes and then they motion back out and then you have kyle phillips and chig running routes like 
that's not a bad thing either, especially if you've sort of brought a heavier package in thinking, no, no, this is their disguised run. We're going to blow up Kyle Phillips with some 255-pound linebacker that can't run. Then you motion them back out. Then you expand <laughs> them, and you've got a 255-pound guy. You're going to see this, <laughs> right? Whoa, they're going four wide? Like, no, 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 no. We can't. Oh, wow. Oh damn it, they got us again, right? So it's going to give them that flexibility to do either. And as soon as they can prove that it's effective and that they're serious about doing it, they're going to go right back the other way and say, Kyle, go run routes. Chick, go run routes. Because they can both do that really well as well. Gives them tremendous flexibility. And this is kind of a good transition into the the storylines for each team going into the year. Uh, because our, our Tennessee storyline is, can they find their 2020 regular season form and be a force in the playoffs? what was missing for them in the playoffs was offensive punch. I mean, they sacked Joe Burrow, like, what was it, nine times, something crazy like that? Like, the defense did their job in that game. They did their – they held Cincinnati to less than 20 points. The offense couldn't get going. And so, you know, we talked in the Tennessee episode specifically about how this is a very boomer bust draft for them. You know, you're adding Traylon Burks, you're adding Chickaconco, you're adding Kyle Phillips. The boom here – is in multiple ways through the pass and the run. And if this booms like we think it's going to boom, it's great for Derrick Henry. It's great for Ryan Tannehill. It's eventually going to be great for Malik Willis. And I think they're going to get that offensive bite that they need out of this class in order to compete with, say, Cincinnati, Kansas City, Buffalo. Because the defense is not the issue. Like, they didn't invest in the defense in free agency. They didn't really invest in the defense in the draft either, the, other than like Roger McCrary. They invested in the offense because they know what the problem is. And so in terms of can they get to the 2020 regular season form and be a force in the playoffs, it's all on this offensive rookie class. And I don't want to say it's guaranteed it's going to work, but considering the skill sets and, and the ceilings, it's got a pretty good chance to work. Both of those guys have been showing out in the early season work, the rookie mini camp and the early OTAs for Tennessee. Uh, Kyle Phillips was the early headliner, not surprising. And Chig was the guy that kind of took that title from him late in the process and started having flash plays to no surprise for either one of us. But I think Tennessee is, is learning. They're doing for lack of a better term, the Sean McVay thing, right? Sean McVay got his butt kicked before he went to the Super Bowl, and instead of just running it back and saying, well, if we just execute better with the same guys, we can do it, he went, nope, we got to change what we're doing, right? We've got to radically alter it and come with a different approach because it didn't work, the league figured it out, and it's not doing what it used to. I need to innovate again. And the Titans are seeing that they have made their plan to deliver themselves to the doorstep of the playoffs each year and then say we will pound Derrick Henry late in the season and they've tried it two years in a row and both times it's fizzled in the playoffs they've come in and just gotten themselves wiped out of the playoffs so they you know if they're doing self-scouting the way they should they're sitting down and going well we can deliver ourselves we know how to get through the regular season we know how to win the division we know how to get there but we don't know how to get past so we can't do the thing we've done twice now because it's not going to work and Derrick Henry's two years older quite frankly we need more diversification we need an offense we can lean on in different ways we need a guy that can do a lot of different things in free agency like Robert Woods right by the end of the year 
presumably he's going to be completely healthy and he can run the jet sweep. He can motion inside in a tight formation. He can block. He can run big outside routes if you need him to. And they did the same thing in the draft. And you see that sort of push to say, this is going to be an offense that's truly multiple. We're no longer just going to say, you know what we're going to do. It's Derrick Henry, the hammer. We're bringing it. Stop it if you can, because you've stopped it twice. So if we're smart, we're not going to do it a third time. We're going to try (laughs) something different. Now, storylines for the Colts. Uh, We did touch on this in the Colts episode. How far can Matt Ryan take this very talented roster and can they go all the way? For me, looking at the, let's just say the NFL over the last, I don't know, 10 years, 10 to 12 years, there's been, there's been two predominant ways that teams have won the Super Bowl, at least the two most common ways. It's you get a really good quarterback on a rookie deal and you realize that sometime, hopefully before year two, and then you spend an ungodly amount of money to surround them with talent and you go make a run. You know, we saw Seattle win a Super Bowl with Russ uh, on his rookie deal. We saw Kansas City win a Super Bowl with Mahomes on his rookie deal. We, we, we've seen that multiple. I mean, Cincinnati almost did it with Joe Burrow on his rookie deal. The other way that you win the Super Bowl is you already have a pretty good roster. And for the most part, if you're doing your job correctly, you have it built with a couple key outs in the cap where you can create some money quickly and you have you have a way to create $30 million of space quickly. But for the most part, the roster is built. You identify some sort of disgruntled veteran quarterback around the league <laughs> that is not in a good situation. And you say, you know what? We can't find our own quarterback. Let's spend a first round pick or let's spend a whole lot, a whole lot of money and go get that guy and plug him into our already ready to go roster and go win a Super Bowl. That's happened in the last two years with Tampa and with the Rams specifically. You know, Tampa bought Tom Brady. The Rams traded for Matt Stafford and then bought Matt Stafford again. But those are kind of the two two predominant ways. Either you have a cheap quarterback and a very expensive roster, or you draft well and build a very good roster and then go buy yourself a quarterback. Looking at the Colts, they're trying the second way. They've already drafted well for a long time. They have a good roster. They drafted well this year. Again, Mm -hmm. they still have a great roster. Couldn't figure out quarterback. So they bought one at a relatively discount price, I might add. Third round pick. I think there is a legitimate shot. When I say legitimate, I mean 20% chance. Like I'll give five to one odds that the Colts are there at the end because Matt Ryan is a great quarterback and this roster is a great roster. They're not one of the highest odds to win the Super Bowl, but in my opinion, they should be. If you're going to drop a dime or a few hundred dimes on a long shot to win the Super Bowl or a longer shot to win the Super Bowl, my money goes to the Colts because of exactly what you said. We've liked their roster for a couple of years. We're like, maybe it's this, maybe it's this guy, maybe it's this guy. Hasn't been the guy at quarterback. And we know in the modern NFL, you need the quarterback. That's look at the final eight for the last three or four years in the NFL. There are no like, oh my God, how did that quarterback make it in? Unless it's an injury replacement for a team that was, you know, already rolling before their starter got hurt. It's always Brady, Mahomes, 
Rogers, now Allen, that he's ascended. Like it's always Drew Brees before he retired. It's always quality quarterbacks who are rolling into the playoffs. And you can say what you want about Matt Ryan's time in Atlanta. You cannot say he did not provide quality quarterback play. He did, and he rolls himself into a situation that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have built. They continue to add weapons. It feels a little bit like Tennessee to me in that uh, I think the offense was a little more diverse already. They added more diversity still. The defense was pretty good. (laughs) Great linebacker core. We talked about their front five or six defensive line rotation pieces. Secondary, some questions in the secondary, but they got Nick Cross to go back and play with Julian Blackman. I think they have enough and I think they're going to consistently produce more points and put teams under pressure that way. So in terms of the storyline, I like their odds if Matt Ryan stays upright. Again, he's got a pretty good offensive line in front of him. That's likely. He's a very good run game to lean on. He doesn't have to do it all. He's got Jonathan Taylor back there. Like In terms of teams that are positioned, even though the AFC is rugged, <laughs> like, <laughs> let's not let's not undersell that fact. I still like their odds. They've got a lot of juice on defense, and now they have an elite thrower of the football. It's just a good setup. Right now, they're 14th in the NFL in terms of, quote-unquote, best Super Bowl odds at plus 2,500. For reference, the Bills are at plus 650. Wow. Bucks are plus 750. Chiefs are plus 900. Packers are plus 1,100. Rams are plus 1,100. Niners are plus 1,400. How, how are they not in that general vicinity? I just, I, I don't get it. Like, I okay, fine. You have less belief in them than the Rams, the Packers, the Chiefs. Fine, whatever. Sure. At, at least put them in the same tier as the Niners, who are going to have an unknown quarterback situation. They're 14. You know, the, the Browns are at plus 1,800. We don't even know if their quarterback's going to play. So, theoretically, if I was to drop 100 bucks on the Colts to make the Super Bowl, not win the Super Bowl, to win the AFC. Ooh, just to win the AFC? Yeah. I'll look be, that up right now. To be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl, because I'm not necessarily say they're going to win it. They might. They get there at full strength, but you know, full strength is questionable after a 17-game season for every team. So let's just say I want to I wanna put 100 bucks on the Colts to win the AFC. What do I get? So right now, if I'm just looking at AFC odds. So makes the Super Bowl by winning the AFC. The Colts are one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh in line. They're at plus twelve hundred. The Bills are at plus three hundred. Chiefs plus six hundred. Chargers plus seven fifty. Broncos plus eight fifty. Bengals plus eleven. Uh, Ravens plus eleven. Colts plus twelve. Wow. So if I bet a hundred bucks on the Colts to win the AFC, what do I get? Twelve hundred bucks. Might. Might have to do that in theory, of course. That's a nice steak dinner, just saying. <laughs> yeah. That's that's half of my rookie dinner if I have to buy the rookie dinner. That's pretty impressive. Did you did you see that clip from I Garrett did Wilson? see that clip. Uh <laughs> we're referencing a clip where a rookie wide receiver was told by some NFL veterans who have retired what he might have to pay. Uh rookies typically have to take their position group out to dinner and foot the entire bill and then you know, the veterans, especially on bonus babies, run the bill up. And they <laughs> mentioned a number to this rookie wide receiver, and the look on his face was priceless. He was like, 
75k excuse me what, what did you say and he's like oh they ain't doing me for that and one of the other veterans goes he thinks it's his choice that's so cute dude you oh. got 20 million they're coming for part of it yeah yeah they know what you got it was in the news bub you're you're gonna have to shell out but uh no i i don't know how you look at the afc even as talented as it is and look i like a lot of the chances we're going to talk about all the teams through this series i like a lot of the chances of the teams you mentioned you know cincinnati are they going to make another solid run they absolutely are uh you know denver under russ mm, i like i like that i think that's probably going to be pretty good mahomes he goes every year like <laughs> he goes to the playoffs every year of course he's going to be there uh you know there's a lot of you know herbert we love the Chargers' chances, too. Like, there's a lot of – but seventh? Like, I think that's a little low, and that's that's where you like to, again, take advantage of those market inefficiencies. So, theoretically, I might do that. Now, main storyline for Houston, can Lovey and Pep improve with a great draft, I might add, phenomenal draft, or – will they kind of regress to maybe what they thought they would be last year, which is the worst team in the league. Now they won. Keep in mind, uh, they had expectations for going like, Oh, in 17 last year, they ended up winning four games. They, for some people's standards, massively overperformed. Can they keep that going this year and quote unquote, overperform again, and maybe get up to six or seven wins with the, all that infusion of rookie talent or will Davis Mills be closer to maybe what we thought he was coming out of the draft? And, and you know, maybe they they put themselves in position for Bryce Young, to put it more politely. It's possible. If this Houston's team is going to ascend, it's going to be on the strength of their youth. It's going to be the infusion of talent that came from this, what we think is very good draft hall and they'll pick up a few wins out of that worst case scenario is they coach uh somewhat timidly on either side of the ball and they just don't have enough talent in a talent driven league to take them week in and week out to a positive win total right they lose more than they win which is pretty likely no matter how well they do um but worst case would be the same record or slightly worse like if they won three games this year uh that would mean again that multiple things probably went wrong the rookie class didn't produce like we thought it did davis mills maybe came back to earth a little bit uh you know lovey maybe tried to meddle a little bit too much with pep's offense and and you know made some decisions that weren't great some in-game decisions now that he's got the head coaching reins like multiple things would have to go wrong but is all that possible? Yeah, all that's possible, right? There is no guarantee that take team that won four times last year, add great rookie class equals team now wins six or seven times. Um, we'll see. Uh, could go either way, but it will be on the strength of those rookies if they improve or improve markedly, I think. And finally, storyline, or rather the main storyline for the 2020 Jacksonville Jaguars is how quickly can Doug Peterson stabilize the offense and really stabilize the offensive line so that Trevor stops getting killed in order to turn Trevor Lawrence loose and also side note how well will all of the young talent that they've kind of cycled into that defense over the last two years how well are they going to gel and 
they're not going to be the, the Saxonville again like 2017 was because that was a crazy-ass defense. But can they at least be average to above average? Those are the two questions we have. Just can Peterson get this team to average? I think if he – he's already removed one roadblock, or Jacksonville has already removed the biggest roadblock from last year. They did that midseason, let Urban Meyer go and said, nope. Oops, we goofed. Bye. Uh, <laughs> get out of here. We'll do better without you. And they did. You mentioned it at the top of the show that they had a late season surge a little bit, at least in terms of consistency of solid professional football play. Like they looked better after he left. Took took a few weeks, but they did improve towards the end of the year. This is different than that. This is okay. We've swept that out. We've again added a really talented rookie class. Tons of talent in that class. We have a coach that's been around the block. Yes, he's the rookie coach for Jacksonville, but he is not a rookie coach. He's a Super Bowl winning head coach. How quickly can he bring his system, his brand of football? How quickly do all of our players buy into it on the offensive side? And really, do we get to see our number one overall pick from last year perform like we think he can? Certainly has enough weapons. It's really about getting the offensive line to some level of, (laughs) you don't have to duck every down, Trevor. (laughs) Uh, And the D, they've really reloaded. I mean, Miles Jack, out of town, but hey, you bring in Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma, great. Bring in Trayvon Walker. They they seem to be leaning towards we're going to move him around and have him do a lot of things, which is great because he has a ton of athletic potential. A lot of other good players there. Josh Allen's there. like They have a lot of really interesting pieces on defense. Can they bring the heat on defense and really put pressure on other offenses and then – come in and say nope we have enough stability Trevor made plays even when he didn't have that last year can we make it so that that's the norm and not the exception if they do those two things Jacksonville will surprise people they have the potential both through roster and coaching additions to get a lot better in a hurry you can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Now, probably the main thing that a lot of people are coming here for predictions i think you and i both agree pretty heavily matt ryan division mvp he's the best quarterback in the division as of right now more likely than not will be the best quarterback on the best team in the division we've talked about him endlessly we'll put that one to bed offensive player of the year you and i differed a little bit in terms of afc south offensive player of the year you also had matt ryan doubling up i actually think that jonathan taylor believe it or not will be even more productive than he was last year because if it's third and five you can in my opinion expect their third down third and long conversion rate I should say to go up and that correlates with more opportunities for Jonathan Taylor to get the ball in positive run scenarios so he's getting more carries and if Jonathan Taylor's getting more carries that means he's getting more explosive plays getting more chances to score I think that he's actually going to be more productive because of what Matt Ryan can bring to the table in terms of just keeping drives alive and the longer the drive is alive the more chances Taylor's going to get I also think that 
you know, looking at the talent in front of him, I think that their offensive line is going to be even better at run blocking this year than it was last year because Quentin Nelson was dealing with injuries last year. Ryan Kelly was dealing with, you know, he was banged up last year. Uh, Bernhard Ryman, I think, is a better run blocker at left tackle than anybody that they had last year. And, of course, you still got Braden Smith, who's a very quality right tackle. At minimum, 80% of their starting offensive line is really good at run blocking. And, oh, by the way, Jelani Woods, their rookie at tight end, better run blocker than he's given credit for as well if they want to go into 12 personnel looks. And also you got big-ass wide receivers outside that could probably block against some smaller DBs too. So in terms of the bodies in front of him and the overall you know, offensive script, I guess you can call it, I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be even better this year than he was last year. I think it's the year that Taylor sort of makes people have legitimate conversations about who's the best running back in this division. And it's been default Derrick Henry for a long time. Probably still will be. I don't I don't think Derrick Henry is going to fall off a cliff, but Jonathan Taylor has been busy ascending for a couple of years, and he doesn't show any sign of slowing down. His situation is better. They're going to be closing out more games of the lead with Matt Ryan at quarterback than they were with Carson Wentz. That means, again, more carries down the stretch. Jonathan Taylor is a big and very fast back, and if you start missing or getting tired or not filling your gap or being a half step late in the fourth quarter, he's going to make you pay, not a little, a lot. If he breaks contain, he's ripping off 35 or 40, or he's going all the way because he has legit track speed, but he is not a small dude either. He can take the punishment. So fourth quarter, he's still going to be bringing fire and heat, offensive line, as you said. And again, game script, playing with a lead, they're going to be grinding that out. They're not going to be airing it out in the fourth quarter if they're up by 15 or 18 points. So there's a lot of things that point to Jonathan Taylor starting to edge his way into that conversation to make it legitimate and not just a, hey, we want a conversation for clicks, but who is the best running back in the AFC South? Because young Jonathan Taylor is sort of priming it up. Derrick Henry's got a lot of mileage on him. He's got a return to form after some injuries last year. I think that's going to be a closer conversation. Still probably Derrick Henry at the end of the day because he is one of the top two backs in the league right now. And until somebody takes that, I'm not taking it away from him. But Jonathan Taylor is in a spot to shine. I, you know, What we agree on here is that the Colts are going to get a lot of ink and a lot of press if they do sort of three quarters of what we think they're capable of. That's a pretty good way to transition into defensive player of the year for the division too, because I think all of the thing all of these things, excuse me, kind of tie together. You know, Colts having a lead, being a dominant offense, that plays right into the hand for my defensive player of the year pick, which is DeVoris Buckner, at least for this division. He's not Aaron Donald, but he's close to Aaron Donald in terms of being an absolute menace on third down. If he is given one on one, he will beat your guard. He absolutely will. And I think that were it not for him playing in the era of Aaron Donald and Chris Jones, he would be seen as, it's going to sound wild, I think he would be seen as the best interior pass rusher in the entire league because he is so overwhelming. It's almost like, um, you know what I think his career mirrors is Calais Campbell. Remember when Calais Campbell was at Arizona? Mm -hmm. And there were so many years where you know, either the team wasn't there around him, there wasn't a, a great situation. They had him playing one technique a lot nose, you know, because they had nobody else that could do it. The best years of Calais Campbell's career were 
or at least the athletic prime of his career, in my opinion, was a little bit wasted in Arizona. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden goes to Jacksonville, where there's a whole lot of talent around him. It's a great team. He sets the franchise record for single-game sacks literally in his first game as a Jaguar. You know, is one of the best pass rushers in the league at any position his first year as a Jaguar. I think the same thing of DeForest Buckner. And I think that in this situation, we are at long last going to see what he can do when everything around him breaks his way. It's Calais Campbell 2.0. I think he's the guy. Yeah, you said DeForest Buckner, and, and I definitely had a Colts representative. I couldn't decide between Quiddy Pay on the Coles and Jeffrey Simmons, who if we're talking about DeForest Buckner and being, you know, one of the best interior pass rushers in the league, Jeffrey Simmons is right there with him and they happen to play in the same division. Either one of those guys, Jeffrey Simmons was on that pace last year for the first four to six games. Everybody was like, man, Jeffrey Simmons is just wrecking everything. It reminds me a little bit of a guy we talked about in our underrated players episode of Kenny Clark, Jeffrey mm-hmm. Simmons and Kenny Clark both just wreck things on a regular basis if you're watching offensive or defensive line film and you end up watching jeffrey simmons you're like damn look at that guy just tear things up so he could do it kind of any year which is why i put him up there just as a sort of nod to his talent and impact quitty pay is again more on the sort of jonathan taylor argument for me of young ascending player with every physical gift you could want and is not in anywhere near the guy we talked about this when we were talking about the Colts episode and again today that anybody in that front six or seven is going to be benefiting from the Colts playing with a lead, other teams trying to come from behind, trying to throw the ball, more pass rushes, more third and longs. Uh, you know, the fact that you've got Brenton Buckner and Dio and Quiddy Pay and a whole host of other guys, you know, Yannick is there now. Like it, it's, Pick your flavor of the week. You can't stop them all. And somebody just is going to start collecting bounces, free sacks, uh, earn sacks, doesn't matter, both combination of the two. <laughs> and if that's Buckner, it'll be Buckner. If that's Pay, it'll be Pay. If it's another guy, it's if it's Yannick, it's fine. That's going to be the guy as the Colts start to win and people start saying, hey, are they a true threat not only to win their own division, but let's look a little farther. Are they a threat to go in the AFC playoffs? And if their defense, their defensive leader is going to be the guy that has six or seven sacks midseason and everybody's saying, okay, you know, is he legit defensive MVP candidate? We're going to start to have that talk because many things are going to play into these Colts defenders having a lot of high profile opportunity. Now for offensive rookie of the year, I, I kind of rolled the dice here in true Titans fashion. I put trail on Burks a, because again, Robert Woods coming off injury, um, you know, the, the, the other main competition for the wide receiver one role at this point is going to be Nick Westbrook-Gini. I think that Traylon Burks, if he makes weight, which it sounds like he's lost a whole lot of weight since uh, since Combine. You know, he got back to his playing weight at Arkansas, which was around 220-225. It sounds like he got back down to that level uh, before the summer for OTAs and all that kind of stuff. So it sounds like he's back in his playing shape during the season where he was putting up all these crazy highlights and everybody's like, Oh my God, he's amazing. And then there was, you know, there was the, the little bit of a slide during draft season where everybody's like, what's going on there? Like, why, like, was he hurt? Was there something going on in his life? Like what, what happened to, to cause that? But it sounds like he's back physically to being what he was this time last year. 
if he is, and I think that the Titans did enough due diligence to make sure that whatever was going on is not a major issue. If he's back to being what he was on the field, he's a tremendous force of nature. Obviously not the most refined route runner in the class, but in terms of athletic profile, again, the size, the weight, the the speed, the explosiveness, the yards after catchability, the versatility in terms of where you can line him up, he is phenomenally gifted. And so I think that the Titans low-key were a great position for him to end up in because it is a very well-run organization. And I think that their staff is a good enough staff that they can unlock that potential. And if and when they do, I think that he's going to be the most dominant rookie receiver in this division. Obviously, again, a little bit of a dice roll, but I'm willing to gamble on the Titans coaching staff and the Titans front office to get him to where he could be. I think Traylon Burks can be explosive, right? I think he can be explosive in this offense, in this system, under this coaching staff. I also think it's difficult for any rookie receiver to come in and have massive impact, right? The Jamar Chases, the Jalen Waddles, they're few and far between guys that come in and just dominate, right? Put up a thousand yards or their team's leading or second leading receiver. Now, Burks has that opportunity because Woods is going to be working his way back from injury and really there's not anybody else there right now. He's going to be this sort of alpha option but he also has a lot to learn so I didn't lean on him I went Damian Pierce the running back for the Texans because I think it's going to become pretty clear in short order that Damian Pierce is the best option running the ball for the Texans Marlon Mack is there yes he might be splitting carries early I love Marlon Mack but I think it's going to become pretty clear to the Texans coaching staff this is the guy like this is the lead guy we want to get him carries and running backs typically break out a little bit earlier they can break out in their first year it's a position that relies heavily on athleticism uh not quite as much to learn in terms of learning curve going from a college route tree to a pro route tree is a bigger deal for a receiver for a running back it's hey kind of do the same thing you got to read this block hit this hole go for it use your athleticism so we tend to see more rookie running backs kind of go off than we do receivers we're seeing more receivers all the time that transition's getting easier but i still i think still easier for a rookie running back to to put up big numbers and if damian pierce becomes the lead back if he can basically pick up pass protection he showed the ability to do that, but you have to do it at a different level. If you get your NFL quarterback killed, you're not getting any carries, kid. That's the that's the way it works. If he can show that he's solid in pass protection quickly, he's got a shot to do it. Speaking of Texans rookies, by the way, uh, you and I both actually agree on this one. Defensive rookie of the year, Derek Stingley Jr., um, arguably the best corner prospect in this class. And if he was healthy, he would have been pushing, you know, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan last year for best corner prospect since Jalen Ramsey. You know, he he was a top five pick, which actually the highest the highest picked LSU DB, and that's saying a lot because you know you got Patrick Peterson, I say, you got. Pat Pete. I mean, how many how many LSU corners have gone in the first round in the last ten years? A lot, you know, compared to most schools, and he's the highest picked one. And looking at the last true season where he was healthy, which was 2019 on that national championship team, he was better, 
both statistically and I would argue in terms of game impact than any of those other LSU DBs that came out. And that's Patrick Peterson included, Mm -hmm. who might be going to the Hall of Fame. So he is a really special prospect, like truly special prospect, special athlete, special person, special technician, a freak among freaks, but he hasn't been healthy, fully healthy in two years. And so that's kind of the main concern there. If he is healthy, I think he is an immediate, and I mean immediate, Pro Bowl caliber corner. But we'll see. We'll see how the foot is looking. We'll see if, you know, the soft tissue injuries don't mount up from the NFL like it was apparently mounting up for him at LSU. It seems like something was always kind of tweaked or pulled. If he's healthy, he's the guy. And I I truly think that he has the potential to be one of the 10 best corners in the entire league within a couple months. Yeah. If he stays on the field, I don't really think this is a question because, again, corners are a little bit – outside corners, I'll say, are a little bit like running backs. You can line them up and say, this is your guy. Go get him. Use the boundary. Use your natural gifts, which <laughs> Derek Stingley Jr. has in – he has a plethora of natural gifts, and we've seen them all on display. He plays extremely well, technique-wise, athletically, wildly gifted. Those are the kind of guys that have breakout rookie campaigns at Boundary Corner. And if he's on the field for a majority of the games, not going to be a lot of coaching there. Like, yes, <laughs> he needs coaching, but if from day one you're going to say go find a really good receiver which there are plenty of in the nfl lock him down if he does that consistently even on a bad team he's going to be the most dominant defensive rookie in this division has to stay healthy though if he gets banged up in week four misses a couple games comes back not full strength it won't happen it'll be another player if he stays and plays consistently yeah, right away he's going to be playing at a very high level. The sort of spin-up for him is going to be really short. Now, best coach in the division for this season. Uh, you and I slightly differ here, but again, it's you really only have two options, I think, to pick from. Uh, you've got Frank Reich. I've got Mike Frabel. I think over the last couple of years, uh, Frank Reich, in terms of game management, has taken a lot of heat. There's been... Uh, when it comes to fourth down calls, you know, when to punt, when to go for it, all that kind of stuff. There have been some legitimate, like, what the hell are you doing, Frank, (laughs) moments. Um, So I think Vrabel is is a little bit better than him in that area. But I think in terms of game planning, and I think in terms of, you know, the Colts have been through a lot. (laughs) And I think in terms of being able to kind of land running, under new and intriguing and sometimes very tough circumstances. I think Frank Reich is also one of the best coaches in the league at doing that. Remember, they've had a lot of different quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. a lot of different starting quarterbacks over the last several years. And Frank Reich, to a degree, has made most and or all of them work. Even Carson Wentz, who drove me crazy, (laughs) he still had his moments under Frank Reich. So I think Frank Reich is very good at kind of uh, you know, uh, taking taking chicken shit and making chicken salad. <laughs> you know, uh, even though Mike Frabel is is better at game management, I think you can't really go wrong in terms of picking coach of the year in this division. You and I just slightly prioritize different things in terms of of who we picked. I'll pref I'll preface this by saying 
I think the best coach in the division is Mike Vrabel. And I will I will stand with that. Now I would agree. Coach of the year, I think Frank Reich, if the Colts have the success, we think he rides the wave of that success, and that's how these awards go, and he'll be named Coach of the Year because the Colts will be riding you know, deep into the playoffs and making noise. If that happens, he wins Coach of the Year. Does it mean he's the best coach in the division? No, I think he's the second best coach in the division and still a fine NFL coach. But if I had to just pick on a level playing field, not to get an award, but like you get to pick one coach to start your football team, I'm definitely picking Mike Vrabel over Frank Reich. I wouldn't be sad with either one of them, but if you're giving me a choice, I'm taking Vrabel off the table. This year, I think it's the Colts year. I think they're going to have a lot of success, and typically the team that has the most success gets votes for Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Rookie of the Year. All that stuff tends to flow towards teams that have success. If the Colts have success, I think Reich wins the award. Overall, I think Vrabel's still the best coach in the division. Well, you and I both picked the Colts to win the division. And I mean, we've been talking glowingly about their Super Bowl odds the entire episode. So I think that was probably pretty obvious. But I, there's just something about it. I think it's Indy's year. I don't, I can't explain it beyond that. If there was any team in the AFC other than the obvious ones, you know, Buffalo and Kansas City, if there was any team in the AFC where it's like Brett, gun to your head. <laughs> who's walking home with a ring it's them complete roster good quarterback good coaching staff good front office good culture you know Jim Irsay say what you want about him he cares about winning he doesn't care what he needs to spend in order to win Um, he is fully invested in the team being the best possible program they can be and he doesn't get in the way of people running the team he's one of the owners who's very passionate about winning and will do anything to win but he doesn't He's not stepping into the front office and saying, do this, do this, do this. Like He lets his football people make the decisions, but he also gives them the resources to do it. This is an organization that is ready. They are ready to finally you know, get over that hump, take the next step. Can't guarantee anything, but if there's one that I'm picking, it's them. I can, I can guarantee they're going to be in the fight, right? Short of something catastrophic, injury to Matt Ryan, something like that, they're going to be in the fight. Am I willing to say, oh, they're going to roll over Mahomes and the Chiefs or Allen and the Bills? No, I'm not. I'm no, it's not to even say, guaranteed they'll roll over the Titans. The Titans are, that's, are right there too. <laughs> there's a lot of teams that don't want to get rolled over. I feel very strongly that the Colts make the playoffs and give themselves a very good chance in those playoffs to go farther. That's the thing about the NFL. It's not a seven-game series. You get to play one game on one field on one day. If you're the better team, you move on. And if you're the better team that was having a bad day, you don't move on. So no guarantees once they get there. But I feel really strongly that they will get there with a head of steam and give themselves a really good shot to move on. Well, this was very fun, EJ. Uh, we actually thought this was going to be the shortest episode uh, of the week, and it ended up being in true bootleg fashion right back to an hour because <laughs> we there can't shut up sometimes but uh hopefully you guys enjoyed our full afc south breakdown throughout the week again we had the individual team episodes if you want to learn more in depth about individual teams or if you just care about the total division recaps come back here every friday and you can kind of get this general cliff notes version every single friday uh man 
This was fun. We finally got through it. Finally got a full week. We have, what's our next division? NFC South? Correct. So we'll have NFC South coming out next week, presumably starting with the Panthers. And then after that, I think we're going East. So with that all being said, thank you all for watching and listening. However, you may be consuming the show. We'll be back next Monday. And until then, later. Take care.